This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome in to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you on a Wednesday edition. Back to our more familiar two-hour format after going three hours on Monday and Tuesday. Um, And those will fall by the wayside now that we are into the offseason. We'll be strictly on a two-hour time limit, five days a week. Um, Because during the football season, we always do a three-hour Monday show after games, uh, which Mm -hmm. is completely understandable. Need that extra hour to dive dive into the game that was. Your willikers can't live without it. Uh, so back to our two-hour format. Glad to have you with us. Um, and we'll be welcoming your participation here shortly. But, Steve, uh, we've got some stuff to get to, yes, as we, we usually do. And uh, it, it, interestingly enough, our topic of discussion will be a poll today. We haven't had a poll in a while. Figure we'd crank that up and get some voting from you fine folks out there just, listening I, and watching that's us. That's got to be a sign that the off-season's here, man. We're going to multiple-choice questions. Multiple-choice <laughs> <laughs> You know, <laughs> I still remember now my my dad, let's just say he was not an ardent student, you know, um, <laughs> found a way to graduate high school um, and did fine. But <laughs> and did fine. But <laughs> dad, I, I still remember he, he gave me the he gave wow. me the he gave me the playbook on multiple choice. He's to go, look. If you are completely out to lunch on a question that is multiple choice, and there are four choices, here is your rule of thumb. There are two answers that are usually nowhere near the answer, and you can hopefully throw those two out, and now you've given yourself a 50-50 shot at getting the right answer. And you know what? More often than not, there's at least one answer that is so off the wall, you're like, well, it's definitely not that. And then there's a second one, and you're like, you know what? That doesn't sound right either. You get yourself down to two. Now you got a 50-50 yeah, shot at it's it. It's always the spectrum. They always give you the one that's like over the top one way, then you know, ridiculous yeah. the other way, yeah. and it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah I get you. Yeah. And then if, if you are completely in doubt and have no way of narrowing the field of the multiple choice options given to you, we used to have the old mantra in school, when in doubt – Pick C. Now, I don't know C. where that came from. I don't know why it was something that you know we clung came, to. I'll tell you exactly where it came from. Some, some guy smoking cigarettes in the bathroom, leaning on me, goes, yeah, just pick C. That's where it, and it well, became do, a law. Well, I'm just going to say this. Some guy, like Fonzie in the Happy well, Days. The old no, we're going back to Happy just Days go to now. C. Okay. You, you pick C. I am just going to say this. There was a, a classmate of mine. <laughs> who was not the guy smoking in the bathroom, but let's just say school classroom work was not the priority. So this guy would try to find shortcuts wherever he could, and on one particular test, he did adopt the when in doubt, pick C philosophy, within reason. Like, it was a 30-question test. He wasn't picking C every time. Right. But he judiciously... Sprinkled it in. Sprinkled in, well, maybe more than sprinkled in, but right, right. used C with a fair amount of regularity on the exam, of which he prepared zero, zero for, and the kid got a damn 86. So he's, you know, he's parading this around, and he's just looking at everybody, and he goes, when in doubt, <laughs> pick C. Because <laughs> I think, because you got your whole test back, 
And I think every time he picked C, he was correct. Yeah, <laughs> he was go. correct. So then it became like, it, you know, how that stuff spreads like wildfire in school. Like, hey, yo, Charlie got an 86, didn't study, and picked C and got an 86. And, you know, if you're thinking, and <laughs> of course, then he got too cocky and arrogant. And he goes, guys, you got to think like a teacher. If you're doing a multiple choice test, you're not going to make the correct answer A all the time. You got to teachers think they got to try to hide the correct answer. Well, where's the best place to stick it? C. Answer C every single time. I was like, every single time. Think about it. See, cuz you go in you're not going to give them A. It's not going to be A well, very then, often. Then you're not going to make it the last one. Right. So it's got to be it's a coin right. Now you're back to now 50%. You're back, now you're back to coin flip. <laughs> So in a I weird way, there is some it. merit to it. Not as much as Charlie attached to it, but still some merit to that philosophy. Does it hold true today, you know, 30-something years later? I don't know. But, uh, Who knows? my God, we, like multiple choice. People, oh, it, it was funny. You, like, you used to, the teacher would be up at the front of the class. You know, later this week, we're going to have an exam. <sighs> it is going to be multiple choice. Ah! <laughs> it's like we got a shot. I got a shot. <laughs> Multiple choice was the best answer yeah. you could ever hear when yeah, you were heard you had a test coming up. Because at least you knew you could blindly pick something and be right if you had no clue what the answer was. They're saying there's a chance. That's basically what multiple choice gave you. So we will have that for you here in a little bit uh, on the Twitter poll today. But we do have to go around the NFL, presented by Collida Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And this is probably not going to surprise anybody, but it looks like Bill Belichick is not going to have a head coaching job next year in the NFL. That might be surprising to some. Are you surprised by that? Because there were eight openings. A quarter of the league had a job vacancy. Now he's 71. Okay, be, so you know, let me pitch this to you. Do you think it's more because of his age, or do you think it's more because of how the last three years went in New England? Flopped uh, with a young I, quarterback. You take your pick. I, I, you could make it. And might not. I be don't the same think he's all of them. I mean, people might call him the best head coach of this era, maybe ever. But one thing you're not calling him is a quarterback whisperer. That's true. That's and isn't that's that right. kind of important nowadays? Yeah. In fact, I, I, you couldn't have botched Mac Jones up any worse and Bailey right? Zappi. You couldn't, have, you couldn't have gotten it worse. And think about this, Not to too. mention his choice for offensive coordinator, at least his well, first choice true. Yeah, after McDaniels left. Think about this, too. When he got the job, you know, umpteen years ago, 23 years ago, or whatever it was in, in New England, Drew Bledsoe was the guy. Mm-hmm. They paid Drew Bledsoe $103 million contract. It was an outrageously expensive yeah. contract. Robert Kraft giving it. And Bledsoe gets hurt. Belichick puts Brady in. And they go to, and they win the Super Bowl, all that. you know. After trading him to a division opponent. Well, wait, wait. That, they won it with Bledsoe on the, yeah, on the, the roster. He helped them win the AFC title game. He had he to come in, in for an injured some, Brady. Yes. And they traded Bledsoe to a division rival. Um, did, did and I heard this too from other sources that you know, he did like Brady. He said he liked Brady from the from the jump because Brady was his committed kid. He was ultra 
ultra studious, yeah. uh, knew everything about the playbook very quickly, was committed to committing it to memory, Took having hard it, coaching, hard coach, the whole thing. And it was kind of he, and to Brady's credit, I think it, it was a brilliant judgment to know exactly the kind of player his head coach wanted when he was the backup, rookie, seventh-round draft, sixth-round draft pick. He knew the kind of player Belichick was looking for. And he made himself that exact kind of player so that he, could ha- he was going to have a job. And then it turned out he could also, that kind of player, Brady became, becomes that kind of player who could yeah. take hard coaching. You know, He was also buoyed by the fact that that team had a fantastic defense at the time he was just coming into the starting lineup. Yeah. I mean, that was – that's a defense that's probably going to have three Hall of Famers. I think Richard Seymour is probably a Hall of Famer, right? Yeah. Ty Law's in the running. Is Ty Law in the Hall of Fame? No. Uh, I think I, he's been a finalist once. Um, yeah, I mean, there's – yeah, And you I mean, got others. Richard Seymour is a Hall of Famer. Randy Richard Moss is a Hall, Hall of Famer. famer. Uh, I'm talking about the defense just The defense, back there. yeah. I mean, it was really good. Well, um, Steph Gilmore was back there. Uh, Darrell Rivas later. is a Hall of Famer. All those guys came along later. Um, my point was though that you know Brady's winning football games throwing 175 yards a game. You know, yeah. most people remember Brady for the 2008 season when they go 16 and 0. You know, beating teams 50 to 10. Um, you know, winning MVPs left, right, and center. Right back then, he's throwing 175, 180 yards a game, one touchdown, and they're winning. Right, you know, 16 to 10. It was a much different way that they won, and they won in the last team to win back-to-back Super Bowls. In fact, Kansas City wins the Super Bowl this year. They'll be the first team to win back-to-back since the 03-04 Patriots. So, or, yeah, 03-04. I think I have that right. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a thing. Uh, but Belichick's not going to be a head coach this year. You had an no. interesting tweet the other day, Steve, where you were saying, you know, Belichick doesn't get a head coaching job. It would it would be a really good idea to hire him at the NFL office. I still believe on that. Park Avenue. Just, I, I mean, the guy's that. a football I, encyclopedia. Know, and you I remember mean, Bill Polian I mean, worked for the league right, when he was year. in between jobs. I'll say this, and I, I still agree with it. And people know, I'm, I mean, I've got no love loss for the Patriots and, and all yeah. that and all the, the scandals that followed him around during the time that they were going to the Super Bowl every year and all, all that stuff. I mean, I've. I've never been shy about it, but I will say this. I've sat down and spoken with Bill Belichick on a number of occasions in production meetings and and also listened to a lot of his press conferences uh, that were avail- you know, available, as we all do in the, in the media world. And I've, I've had conversations with the guy, and, and I've found him to be pretty affable and, and he's got a great sense of humor. Uh, he's, more of, he's more of a human being than you would ever give him credit for, given what comes out of the, in, the New England, you know, building yeah those press conferences are epic in their it's teeth pulling oh my gosh it's painful to watch but aside from that the guy knows what he's talking about he's a, he's an absolute encyclopedia of knowledge he's been within the national football league for decades and decades and decades he remembers a lot of stuff that people a lot of people have forgotten he's been at the table when Coaches and players and, and officials and, and uh, league executives talk about the future of the league, where they're headed, where they've been. He's, an, he's a vast encyclopedia of knowledge. There's no question about it. And he's got a great sense of the value of the game. And I think he would be a great voice to 
I don't know what you, what you do with him, but this game is continually evolving, which means it's a, you, you got to make sure that evolution stays where you want it to stay. And I think a guy like Belichick and guys like him, like Mike Holmgren would be another good one. You know, even Pete Carroll would, be, would help. You know, some of the older guys that have been around for a long time. There's value there. There's value in their knowledge and their expertise at the coaching level and the football end of the game, which, let's face it, is the lifeblood of the, of the sport. I just think it's, it makes good sense to use those guys as resources um, in envisioning what the future of the league could look like. Yeah. And you've got some stuff on your plate right now that they're pretty important, like the, the, now with legalized gambling. you got a team in Vegas. The Super Bowl is in Vegas. The, the integrity of the game, all that stuff has always got to be guarded very closely, and I think those guys would have ideas on how to do that and other things with player safety, with – you know, equipment with protocols in the offseason, how they think, could change and be honed, all that stuff. Think about the ways in which Belichick has worked around the rules. Remember there was that game where he knew you couldn't call us. There was something about calling a second consecutive timeout. You can't call two timeouts in a row. And he worked around that, I think, by challenging a play and then calling a timeout after he won the challenge. And I don't know, there was something in there. He also got taken to school by, by Mike Vrabel. By Vrabel, yeah. Because Vrabel knew that if, they, if, they did, if the penalty was not accepted or whatever, he would decline the penalty, the clock would wind, and he was on offense. He just let the clock go down inside yeah. of two minutes. And he kept, you know, declining. And the clock kept running. He had, and Belichick had nothing to do but except take a timeout. He had to take a timeout yeah. to stop the clock. Uh, brilliant move by Vrabel. So I was – yeah, because yeah. they were purposely committing penalties yes. to try to stop the clock, and Vrabel kept declining <laughs> to That's make right. the clock run again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's funny. right. It was great, great stuff. Um, speaking of Belichick, there were reports out of Philadelphia that the Eagles were interested in Belichick if Nick Sariani refused to make coaching changes to his staff. Now, as we know, he bounced the offensive and defensive coordinators on the Eagles staff Brian Johnson and Sean Desai. So Sirianni kept his job and then has been working to fill those assistant jobs accordingly. But had he not, Sirianni would have been bounced out of town. And according to reports, Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the Eagles, would have been interested in bringing Belichick on board. And meanwhile, yeah. Cowboys owner Jerry Jones in a radio interview basically said, oh, yeah, there's no doubt I could work with Belichick. I'd have no problem working with that guy. So the guy keeps Mike McCarthy but leaves that in his back pocket. So if the season goes sideways next year for Mike McCarthy, you think he's giving Belichick a ring on the phone? You yeah, there's a, darn yeah, tootin' Was- he is. Was- I'm surprised Washington and Seattle haven't picked up. I, Maybe they have uh, picked up the phone. I think Washington feels like they need they have new ownership, and I feel like they need new young blood. That's why they Maybe. were after Bobby Slowick. Seattle would be is because. Belichick's like two years younger than the coach they fired for being too old. Well, yeah, and not only that, I mean, let's not forget, the commanders had Ron Rivera, who's over 60. So, you know, it's like, eh. Yeah. I, I think they feel like they need new blood. I think they were thrown a curveball when Ben Johnson said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going back to the Lions. Yeah. Bobby Slowick did the same thing. Went back to Houston. He's a former assistant on – back when they were the Washington Redskins, he's a former assistant coach whose career went through there. 
And so they were interested in interviewing him. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go back to the Texans. I have a chance to work with C.J. Stroud, and you've got Sam Howell. Sorry. You'd have nobody. Um, I mean, mean, they could draft somebody, obviously, but it didn't sound like it's anything he wanted to undertake. Life's a lot easier and rosier when you got C.J. Stroud to work with every week. I'll say this again, too. Uh, This was reported that Ben Johnson, it's not the first time he said no to a team. He is... He's going to wait for the right He's fit. He's waiting. And, I, and it was also reported that Ben Johnson's asking price was like, what? For a first-time head coach? I don't know. We got Jim Harbaugh making reportedly $16 million this year. That's nuts. For the Chargers. That's how bad the Chargers want to get it right. Right. After not getting it right after, for years. Yeah, after almost like trying not to get it right for years. They finally hired Jim Harbaugh. And uh, let me tell you that – He's hard to live with. Yeah. Well, apparently. I think there are pluses apparently. and minuses to every coach. Sure. Because the egos are gigantic. That, yeah. Right, wrong, or indifferent, they just are. Well, that's part of the job description, too. I mean, if you don't have an ego, you're, you know, you're in the wrong business because you've got you to stand up in a room full of guys that are alphas. Yeah. And uh, so you've got you to know you can do that. But So you're going to give Ben Johnson an unproven head coach – Money like apparently money like Jim Harbaugh. I don't know what the money was, yeah, but Jim Harbaugh's got a Super high. Bowl appearance and a national championship. Yeah, got and he's elevated bit, whatever program he's been associated. Got with. Got a little bit more on the resume. Yeah. Um, we were going to get to this, but the story has already changed. We after the Seahawks flew to Baltimore to interview Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, they had him come up to Seattle today for a second interview in person. And now we are hearing from NFL Network's Ian Rappaport that the Seahawks appear set to hire Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald as their new head coach. Seattle willing to wait for him. And Baltimore bounced out of the AFC title game from the playoffs. There now looks like they're going to hire him um, going forward here. So you would anticipate that the Ravens, who have already lost their assistant general manager, Joe Hortiz, who goes to the Chargers to be their GM, are now going to lose some staff assistance as well on John Harbaugh's coaching staff. So it looks looks like they're going to make Mike McDonald their new head coach. They, too, are interested in Ben Johnson, as Steve mentioned. They have done this before, though. I'm going to talk about Baltimore. They've replaced um, coordinators before. Um, not on a, on a little bit of a regular basis. No, they just did it with Greg Roman. They brought Todd Munkin in. Uh, they did it with Wink Martindale two years ago, their defensive coordinator. So yeah, they John Harbaugh has has done this uh, before, and you can bet that John Harbaugh is on the phone with Jim Harbaugh talking about the guys who are available. In fact, you know the Chargers, as we reported yesterday, re- hired assistant GM of the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, to be Hort, Hortiz. Yeah, Ortiz. Joe Hortiz. Hortiz. He is now the GM of the Chargers, and that comes straight from John Harbaugh over to Jim Harbaugh. You know there was a long conversation about the quality of that guy. Um, yeah, so that's – when you get these – these guys get these jobs, a lot of times you'll see this where guys just – they get guys they know or get guys who have been recommended to them. Um and sometimes it were, it's, it's the way it was done. That's the only way it was done back in the day, way yeah. back in the day. But now, because of the professionalism and the way they, they've gotten better hiring protocols in, in place, now they, they, get, they go out and they're not head coaches. Like, like, 
Brian Dayball in New York. He was not afraid to go out and hire guys he had not worked with before. Mixed success there because he's moved on from Wink Martindale. Right? Some. He got, he got a bad football team in the playoffs. Yeah. You know? And you knew they were going to take a step back. And, yeah. and as soon as they just... <laughs> As soon as they decided to pay $42 million to that quarterback, they were going to be underneath it. Yeah, and then he tore his ACL. They're probably better off. We'll see where that goes. They yeah. can't get out from under that contract I until know. 2025. It's so, it's so bad. Um, quickly, some other stuff around the league. Bucks quarterbacks coach Thad Lewis interviewing today for Tampa's OC job. He is the top in-house candidate. Um, as we know, the Bills requested him for an interview for um, – their uh, coordinator position before they decided to stay in-house and name Joe Brady to the permanent job. Uh, the Bucks have also interviewed former Eagles OC Brian Johnson, just so that's out there. Former Bears OC Lou Getze has interviewed with the Patriots for their vacant OC job, and he has a second interview with the Saints today who dispatched Pete Carmichael, uh, who had been their OC. And finally, Jason Kelsey confirmed on his podcast that he's going to be teaming up with Funko, which is a, um, I'm trying to think of the right word here. They, they, I don't want to say they make action figures. They make these caricature figures stand about four to five inches tall. My nephew's got a bunch of them. Oh, is that what uh, that is? Yeah, to, that's that company. But right. they also make T-shirts, and they're going to make a T-shirt mm-hmm. that will benefit the Patricia Allen Fund. At Oshai Children's Hospital here in Buffalo. So good on Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey uh, for doing that. Still enjoying Buffalo. Yeah, and ironically, um, they they're going to be making a T-shirt with him without a shirt on and a beer in his hand. Yeah. I wonder where that image came from. Yeah, there you go. So, so that's that. Uh, but we've got and we've got some Senior Bowl stuff we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, but we do want to get to our topic at hand today. As we said, it is a Twitter poll today. And the question for you is, aside from Josh Allen, which player is most important for the Bills' offensive success next season? Your choices are as follows. A, Diggs' reemergence. B, Shakir Kincaid taking the next step. C, rookie wide receiver production. Or D, something else. So you can uh, submit your choices Give on me. the tweet sheet at One Bills Live, or you can give us a call 803-0550-1888-550-2550. Given our conversation at the top of the show, so it's C is the correct answer. <laughs> it could be. See if it would. It could when be. In doubt. Pick C. That's not my choice. What is your choice? Mine's actually D. Other. What's your what other? I'll let you know in a second oh, here because right. uh, we've got to get to the phones at 803-0550. Open lines for you there. One eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. And we lead off with Cindy in Niagara Falls. What do you got for us, Cindy? Hi, guys. Um, first of all, I want to congratulate Coach McDermott for giving up the defensive coordinator spot. Um, I've been saying this for months, that he needs to really just concentrate on his team and let somebody else do that. He can help out. That's fine. Second of all, I've also been saying with my opinion about Vaughn Miller that, you know what, God bless him, but he's too old. They got to get the youth in there and get some, get some younger players in there. Um, 
Stefan Diggs. I'm not sure. Do we want to take a chance on him and see if he comes through for next season? I don't know. Um, so I just, um, I love the Bills. I love you guys. And I just, um, I'm confused on all this is going on. Thank you. All right, Cindy. Uh, we'll, we'll try to help uh, iron some stuff out for you there. You had a lot on the list. Uh, I would say first concerning Diggs. Yes, his production for the second straight season dropped off precipitously in the second half of the season. I think it's two things, primarily. One, the inability for Buffalo's offense to pull attention away from him to a degree where he can continue to flourish. And then two, I think because the burden was so heavy on him in the first half of the season, I think the guy was flat-out exhausted come the second half of the season. Um the burden was heavy on him in the first half of the season. And to his credit, the dude lived up to it. But come the second half of the season, when he became the focal point of defensive efforts in the passing game, the Bills didn't have enough answers elsewhere to sufficiently pull attention away from him. Now, late in the season, we saw Shakir pull attention away from him. What happens? Look in the Week 18 game against Miami. Seven catches, 82 yards. He suddenly reemerges because there's another threat somewhere else on the field that's pulling enough attention away from him. That has to continue in earnest, in my opinion, because let's not forget, for the fourth straight season, to set a team record, he had over 100 receptions. Okay? The guy is still very, very, very productive. Um, I don't think that should just be dismissed categorically. So that's that. And... You know the work ethic he has. I anticipate him coming back and being productive again this season, but I think you absolutely have to have a talent on this roster come next spring that has the potential in a year's time, maybe sooner, to assume the number one receiver role in this offense as Diggs enters his age 31 season. Second, okay, you asked about Von Miller. And and also, one last thing, you can't get out from under Diggs' contract until 2025 anyway. The cap hit is too great. Uh, and I don't expect him to come back to the negotiating table to renegotiate that deal. Maybe he does and surprises me, but I don't see well, it. Well, he'll come back if it's the same money, at least. Yeah. Second guy, Von Miller. I understand why people are disenchanted with Von Miller. He did not produce coming back from ACL surgery. You're right, he is an older player. But again, this is a player whose contract you really can't get out from under until 2025. So your best course of action, knowing it's unlikely they're going to be able to afford to re-sign Leonard Floyd, and may even be unlikely that they're able to re-sign A.J. Epinesa, you've got to keep that guy. Because I, I personally believe he will be more like the old Von Miller come this fall when he has had a year and a half removed from the surgery, that's number one. Um, and number two, I think you want to see more of younger players. I think you will see that because I think you'll see Kingsley Jonathan get a ton more playing time this coming fall because you can't re-sign veterans like Leonard Floyd or perhaps even A.J. Epinesa because they're going to cost too much money and you don't have the cap space to spend at a position like that. Especially with all the holes, you have a defensive tackle. Right. I, yeah. Uh, 
Vaughn and Steph are not going anywhere. And I think Vaughn, even if he has a kind of the, the production arc that, that Steph had this year, I, I think that's the floor. I think he's got some I think he's got football in his in his still in the tank. He's got gas in the tank. I think he's going to play well. Uh he may not be able to put together a 17 sack season, but I do think he's going to be very productive in this defense. I think he's got some I think he's got some juice left. I think it's really hard to come back in one and maybe even a little less than one calendar year for the NFL, and especially at age 34. At a, yeah, at his age. Uh so I'm I'm thinking he is you know, going to give the Bills one more year. I think he's going to try and go out on a high note. I think he's going to give them everything he's got, and and he knows too as well as as the Bills. And we all knew it coming into this when they signed him. This was going to be the kind of the final year of that deal. And I think he's going to come out and give his best. I from what I've seen of Vaughn, uh, and what I think about his personality and what he has brought to the Buffalo Bills, you can bet that whatever he has to give, he's going to throw it out there. So I, I, I think he's going to be a great asset to the team. I think he's going to be able to play really good football, and I think he's going to finish strong. I think he, he owes it to his career and to himself. So I'm, I'm, I think he's going to be ultra-motivated. Um, I think that goes a long way. I'm, and I said this during the season. I was not done with Vaughn even this last year, um, and I thought he was still improving and coming back better and better and better week after week. And, you know, unfortunately, they ran out of season. And knowing the way he works, I, I think it's safe to say he's going to attack the offseason again so he can be back to the Vaughn that we have become accustomed to seeing. And then the last thing about Bobby Babbage, I'm glad you're excited about Bobby Babbage's defensive coordinator. What we do not have clarity on yet is who's calling the plays. Just because he's been named defensive coordinator, I don't think unilaterally means he's going to be the defensive play caller. I think it's reasonable to assume that, but we don't have clarity on that yet and we may not for a little bit here maybe until coach OTAs, mcdermott talks yeah, at the yeah. at the combine yeah right that might be the first time we get clarity on that subject so that's a bridge that we still have to cross 803-0550-1888-550-2550 we are wide open for the full two hours for your phone calls aside from josh allen which player is most important for the bills offensive success next season got open lines for you at 803-0550 but when we come back we've got tom and dave to get to to lead us off in segment number two here on one bills live presented by collider health it's buffalo bills radio All right, welcome back to One Bills Live on a Wednesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker for with you. Aside from Josh Allen, which player is most important for the Bills' offensive success next season? Got choices for you on the Twitter poll. A, Diggs reemergence. B, Shakir Kincaid taking the next step. C, rookie wide receiver production. D, something else. And we go back to the phones, but we have open lines for you at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. But we lead off with Tom on a cell. What do you got for us, Tom? Yeah, I just want to say that, you know, when I think about the Bills and I, I watched the Chiefs during Baltimore and, the, and Buffalo win, Baltimore beat themselves. The Bills yep. beat themselves. The Chiefs did not beat them. And when you look and you, and you try to figure out why, it's because it's, I don't know if it's focused, if it's really understanding situational play, but the Chiefs do not make mistakes. They don't have drop balls. They don't have false mm-hmm. starts. They don't have two defenders in the wrong area or two offensive guys 
receivers in the, in the same area. So I think that's what I'd like to see the Bills work on because I was listening to, oh, I think a podcast on with on Bill Belichick during the uh, Patriots Glory Day, and he would when they were in the locker room, he would go to the receiver, ball's coming to you, what do you do? The answer would been, watch it hit my hands before I look, you know, and then he would go to a, a safety, hey, they're you know the offense is in this round, what are you going to do? Or the receivers, you see the defense line up in this. What are you going to do? It was mentally preparing them to play. And when they got off the field, his coordinators, I guess, had to go and see what was done different, that series of plays that we weren't expecting. So as much as I think we need this and then this, it's still very much a mental game, just as much as it is a physical game. And I'd like to see us really focus more on that that mental part of it so we don't have that drop balls. We don't have these silly mistakes. And, you know, Bass can still kick a ball. Dicks can still catch a ball. I just think mentally sometimes we lose focus. I just can't put my finger on, you know, if it's us training or what's going on in that area. And I think that's what I'd really like to see more than anything is more focus on the mental part of the game. Uh, well, you want to uh, – because I, I know we're going to head – you and I are going to head the same spot. Yeah. You're right. Uh, we have said for a long time this Bills team is – they're really good. Uh, the Buffalo Bills are a great football team. So are the Chiefs. So are the Ravens. And so are any other uh, – you know, name some others you can name. We can all name them. In fact, the Bills are so good that when you beat them, it's because they helped you. The Bills helped you. The Kansas City Chiefs, and you said the Chiefs don't – listen, the Chiefs helped the Bills beat them in the regular season when Kadarius Tony lined up off sides. And the yep. Chiefs went in for the touchdown that would have won the game. No, it got called back. That's how – these games are so close. That's what it comes down to. And, and you're right. Not beating yourself when the chips are down and having one of those plays that goes against you because you weren't aware of it. You know, the Surefield tipped pass – touchdown against Miami in the back of the end zone. Good ball goes up in the air. He catches it. Not everybody's going to do that. Um, hey, well, that's proof that you got to be a little lucky sometimes. Too. Absolutely. And I mean, the Niners were lucky on Sunday when a ball bounces off a Detroit Lions defender's face mask right into Brandon Ayuk's hands, and he sets up first and goal on a 51-yard pass play. These teams are so close, and, and I get it, too. It's reactionary. We, get, we took Paul. I went off on a guy yesterday. Apologize again. <laughs> for wanting to, you know, hold finger quotes, hold Dermot McDermott accountable, dude. Th- these games come down to one or two or three plays, and a lot of them are uncontrollable instances. And the the stuff you're saying about Bill Belichick going around saying, "What do you do here? What do you do here? What do you do here?" Having specific instructions in certain situations is always, you know, the go to. In football, there's a lot of stuff that happens you can't predict. And sometimes guys have you, – you spend your – and I remember doing this. You spend time thinking about the what-ifs. What if this happens? What am I going to do? And what should be the play? What would be the best play? And as a pro, it's not like making – you don't want to make the safe play. You want to make the best play. That's the level that you're at. I remember thinking about one time, well, what happens if you're coming down to, to down – and I'm, this is me. I'm, a, I'm just a special teams guy. I'm down the roster. I'm not talking about catching touchdown passes. I'm talking about downing a punt and thinking about it. And you think about it, and I thought, what happens if the thing, you got to keep it out of the end zone? What if it's still in the air? What if, if you jumped and got a piece of it and knocked it out and be ready for it? And I, th- I thought about stuff like that. And sure enough, it happens in a game, and I'm ready for it. It's, 
it's a never-ending process. And yes. some teams have a knack for it, or at least, maybe not a knack, but at least have enough wherewithal to, to take advantage of certain situations. The ball bounces their way, yes, but they're also ready for it. Bill Belichick isn't the only coach that does that. Sean McDermott starts every single practice every day with a situation. He does it for two reasons. One, to present as many of those variables that Steve mentioned that could possibly come up in the game so players know how to handle it. And he also does it right at the beginning of practice, right after stretch. Actually, he does it before stretch, now that I think about it. First segment of practice, situation. And he puts offense and defense in a certain situation against one another so that any possible variable in a game that could come up, they're ready for it. And number two, it gets the brains turned on right from the beginning of practice. Whoa, whoa, we're in a third and one. I got five seconds, no timeouts. I got to figure out what I'm doing here. You know, um, every practice, there is a new situation introduced. And I don't think any of them have repeated in the seven years that Coach McDermott's been the coach here. Why? Because there are, to Steve's point, that many different things that can happen in a football game. Yeah, It's a scripted sport, but holy crap, are there like – a myriad of situations. Yeah, it's, it's I a mean, really you can't even count thing. them all. And I, th I keep saying, too, I'm going to see something where a ball is going out of bounds. Like, for instance, a, a quarterback kind of lobs the ball out of bounds. If you're on your toes and you're going to dive out of bounds, you can catch that, knock it back in and catch it and throw it back in before you come down out of bounds. It's still a live ball, and you could turn it into an interception. Stuff like that is what players think about. Like this stuff that Travis Kelsey did in the game, the regular season game, where he threw it, where he's running, Lateral, caught it, yeah. and he threw it sideways. That's that's next level stuff. He and he does that during practice. Guys do that during practice. Josh did it too with Shakir. Josh did the same thing with Shakir. He's half tackled. It's it, all of that stuff comes from being prepared and thinking about it. Um, and it it happens more than you know. But he's that's a, it's a good talk call, Tom, because you're right. Being aware makes a makes an okay play in a crucial time into a winning play. Right, but. Patrick Mahomes, not only is he extraordinarily gifted physically as a quarterback, he's got it between the ears and knows how to manage situations. That was a one-score game for like the last quarter and a half or the last quarter of that game on Sunday against the Ravens. And while he was unable to put more points on the board, he never put the Ravens in position to make it easier for them to score points and tie the game. Right. Never. And he had like five possessions in the last quarter and a half of the game. They couldn't score points, but he didn't hand them any opportunities. Right. They were punting it away, punting it away. Long field, long field. Didn't turn it over. Didn't make a stupid play. And yeah. he is an expert at avoiding the bad play. He mitigates risk maybe better than any other quarterback in yeah. football, and that's why he puts himself in position to be in the ultimate game four out of the last five years. It's crazy, too, because it almost sounds crazy when you talk about it, because all we see from Pat Mahomes is that, you know the side, the underhand submarine throw and the sidearm where he's going out of bounds and he throws it falling away and all the crazy plays, the no-look pass that we saw, all that stuff that he's done, the left-handed pass. It all seems like, wow, it's really risky, but it, you know, <laughs> he doesn't do it. He turns it. He never turns it over doing that. It's you like, know what I'm saying? It's like organized risk. Right. Uh, it, it looks calculated risk. Kel Helter-skelter, but it's calculated. And he, he never he doesn't turn it over. And I, 
I've said it. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Everybody says this about Josh. He turns it over too much. That's why he's not the MVP. And Bills fans will tell you, and I think people in this building will tell you, if you think he turns it over too much, we'll say no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He turns it over, yeah. But this is a team that wins playoff games every year. There's certainly in the regular season, you'll say, hey, man, he's you know got it. Yeah, okay. In fact, it may cost you a game here and there. But I'll tell you what, in the playoffs, he didn't turn it over once this year. Yeah. So, I mean, the guy was money. So he's doing what it takes to get you to the next step. That's what good players, great players do. And, and the, the difference between the Chiefs, the Baltimore Ravens, the Buffalo Bills, and whoever else you want to throw in there on the AFC side, and, of course, the, the rest of them on the NFC side, they're all right there. Marv Levy used to tell us all the time, guys, the difference between the, the number one team in the league and the 32nd-ranked team in the league is this much. And he holds his, his thumb and his forefinger up, like just that far apart. Because that's the difference between the top team yeah. and the bottom team. But he says, listen, when you're talking about practice, when you're talking about your offseason, when you're talking about your game planning, that, two per, that little 2% right there is 100% of the difference. Yep. And it sounds you know, great when you say it like that. It sounds like new math, but it, yeah, sounds, but it makes sense. It's, there's, a, there's a lot in that 2%. And what Tom's calling about, about being ready for those moments at the end of the game when you, you don't want to give them an opportunity, but you want to get every opportunity you can, those moments are when games are won and lost and championships are won and lost. Let's squeeze Dave in here in Florida before the break. What's up, Dave? Real quick, I mean, my, my opinion is, you know, a class, first-class wide receiver to go along with Diggs. Um, and, you know, I've watched this and I listen to you guys all the time. And like you said, Brownie, yesterday, people calling for – McDermott said stuff like that's ridiculous. The guy did an amazing job with all the injuries he had. You know, just think about it, right? I mean, if Diggs shows up at the end of the season and Vaughn doesn't, you know, still lag from the injury, there's no way he's three points better than us. Yeah. And, you know, it just happens. You know, I mean, it's a game. You know what I mean? I had a knee injury in high school, and it took me more than a year to recover, and I was a kid. I mean, at 33, we might see the whole the old Vaughn next year, and, but we got to get some help on that wide receiver thing because, I mean, Diggs just didn't show up at the end of the season. I know you said he's tired and all that kind of stuff, but, man, he can't be dropping balls in that situation. I mean, look what Kelsey did. He was dropping balls until, what, the second or third last game of the season? Yep. Man, did he step it up at the playoffs. And that's what we need. That's the difference. I mean, yeah. it's, not, it's not McDermott. It's not Josh. It's just being able to utilize what we got and have it perform. Yeah, yeah execution. You, yeah. I think the best right way to look at that, and thank, thanks for the call, Dave, I, I think – and I know I don't I don't want to seem like revisionist history or I'm all shucks or or you know well that's just the way it goes. I, I think you got to really realize as fans because you know Brownie and I aren't catching passes and neither any of our callers. I mean we're out there we're kind of enjoying the team and watching them. I think that's where you got to stay with this team. You got to realize how how awesome it is to have a team that's gonna have another shot this coming year. Yeah. You're not we're, this team ain't going away D- despite all the free agency, the cap problems, the the free agents, all the stuff that's going – this team is going to be there again next year. I, I, I really believe yeah. that. The difference is there are fans out there that want a guarantee. And in sports, no matter what sport it is, there are no guarantees. Because going back to Steve's point at the start of this segment, there are too many variables that exist in sports to guarantee anything, no matter how good you are. And that's just the facts. And if you can't sign up for that, 
it, it's going to be very hard for you to be a happy fan. Right. It's going to be very hard for you. It really, yeah. Uh, Got to take a break here. But when we come back, more of your phone calls. Elliot in Rochester, Steve and Amherst are up next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. asking you today aside from josh allen which player is most important for the bills offensive success next season choices are there on the tweet sheet at one bills live uh but we go back to the phones and to elliot in rochester next what's up elliot hey chris and steve thanks for taking my call sure so looking at the offense i mean this year i was at both playoff games the bills with the weapons they have and it'll be great to add more They've shown the ability to work down the field, run the ball, hit those short passes to Shakir, Kincaid. I love the scheme that Brady's got. But when we think back to the past two, three, four years in the playoffs, it pretty much always comes down to one thing, and that's the defense. Uh, We haven't really been able to generate turnovers. I'm hoping with Bobby as a new D.C., him and Sean can, can scheme up with what they got in the defense. But think about how many games we've, we've lost when it, when it, was so close. I mean, Josh Allen and the offense, they always found a way to get points on the board. I mean, you go a few years back, Casey put up over 30 points. Yeah, they had a high-powered offense, but, you know, if you're letting up over 30 points, it's hard to win a game. We think to the 13 seconds game, right, that that came down to defense right there at the end. And then in overtime, yeah, the defense was tired too. Um, This year versus KC, I mean, people are upset about the fake punt call, but we think, you know, what might that say about the confidence in the defense and their ability to make a stop? You know, I mean, in, in last year, when, when the Bengals come out, they put up 14 points back-to-back touchdowns in the first quarter. I mean, that's severely difficult to come back from. Um, so at the end of the day, I mean, Josh Allen and the pieces that he has, he's always going to be able to get something done. Um, but really it comes down to the defense always having like needing that clutch answer uh, when it counts. Um, you know, so it's just, the best teams in the league, we look back last year, it was the Eagles and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. A few years back, Tom Brady at Tampa Bay had a, an incredible defense. Um, and then this year, in the, if you look, the Ravens were toward the end, KC toward the end, and the 49ers. Those are three of the best defenses in the league. So everyone loves offense because it's flashy. We've got great weapons. It'll be great to add more. But really – it's going to come down to defense to get the Bills over the hump. I was just curious about your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had a top five defense until they had injuries. They had, yeah, you know, that's true. They had bad inju- They had poorly injuries. Never come at a good time. But losing your starting middle linebacker before the AFC divisional playoff is a little problematic, especially when you've already lost your All Pro for the season back in Week Five, who plays the weak side linebacker position, and then. You don't have Balin Specter, who's your fourth linebacker, and your third linebacker, Tyrell Dotson, is coming back from an injury to play. So the guy that's starting next to him, a veteran, but was sitting on his couch two weeks ago. Yeah, it's 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 a factor for every single team, no question about it. You got to overcome injuries in the NFL to 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 get there and, and be able to either overcome them or not be struck with them. 
um, and you don't get to pick where they happen. So you get and think about it. Most of you know the significant injuries the Bills suffered were on one side of the football. Yeah, you know. I'm, so all of a sudden you're it's kind of lopsided. Now you're putting more pressure on a, on offense. Now albeit a healthy offense, but an offense all the same that has to carry the load down the stretch. This defense under Sean McDermott, I was really encouraged by because. As we thought in the offseason, Brownie and I talked about it week after week after week through, you know, when, when Sean McDermott made the move and he was going to call the plays through, you know, March, April, May, June, July, August, we kept saying while the defense was extremely well ranked and highly ranked under Leslie Frazier, it missed big plays. It didn't get turnovers. It didn't get sacks, those, those splash plays. Under McDermott, it did that this year. Uh, to a much higher degree, a yeah. noticeably higher degree. And, and that was really encouraging. They were in the top five in both categories, sacks right. and takeaways. And that, I think, is a much better spot to be in going forward. Because I don't, you're right, because I think you're right, Elliot. Splash plays just when you need it are the thing that puts you over the hump. Game changing plays. Um, you can go back and look at all the other games that have happened. Uh, the Chiefs, you know. Picking the ball off in the end zone, um, then you know, had a chief got you had a Chiefs player dropping a dead stone cold interception before that. Um, so it, those kind of plays, along with sacks and all of that stuff, those are the kind of plays you need. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of with Brownie on this one. I think we're in the same kind of conversation. Yeah, you need a, a solid defense, but what you really need is a turnover and sack defense because this the league is built for offense, right? There's two things you there's a couple of things you need turnovers and sacks, and you need a defense that really tackles well. The first guy to the ball, the guy's on the ground. The first player that gets to the guy with the ball, the guy's on the ground. You look at Baltimore Ravens defense, the Chiefs defense, that was their most glaring characteristic. When a defensive player got to the guy with the ball, the guy with the ball went down. And that's unchanging. If you can do that, if you can turn turnovers, get some sacks, and just first guy to the ball makes a tackle, you're going to be really an elite defense. And I think that's what serves you well in the playoffs, to your point, Elliot. Just, you, don't need, you don't need five turnovers in a game, but you do need one at the right time. You know, And that's what the Chiefs and the Ravens and Niners and the Lions, and you know, certainly the Lions are, are that because you know, their defense was, wasn't even ranked that well. Yeah. But, you know, they did enough. So the um, problem is a lot of that is unplanned. You know, it's, it's the chaos of the game. Your guy punches it out at the right time, you know. Got to take a break here at the top of the hour. Steve, sorry we did not get to you in this segment. You will lead us off in hour number two if you want to hang through. And others at 803-0550 as we are wide open for calls in hour number two. We'll get to you when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by 
Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two here on a Wednesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. I want to get right back to the phones where we're taking your calls on what you believe uh, is the most important player besides Josh Allen for the Bills' offensive success next season. We've got choices for you in our Twitter poll at One Bills Live on Twitter uh, or X, whatever you call it nowadays. But uh, we are going to go to the phones first at 803-0550 and to Steve and Amherst as promised. Thanks for waiting, Steve. What do you got for us? Uh, hello, gentlemen. I uh, hope you're having a good day. Uh, for your uh, uh, poll there, I would say uh, Cook is the next most valuable player. Yeah. But uh, my uh, my first question is, would the Bills get a compensatory pick for Washington uh, going over as the offensive co- or defensive coordinator to Chicago. Uh, I read somewhere that sometimes you can get a, an extra pick if a coach goes to another team. I believe that's to only be a head coach, Steve. Right. So if you lose a minority coach from your staff who becomes a head coach elsewhere or a front office person who becomes a general manager elsewhere, you would get a third-round compensatory pick for two years but not for a coordinator position, to my knowledge. Okay. And uh, my second question is, you know, ever since Marv Levy came on board, special teams was always uh, a premium for for the team. And, uh, you know, the, a couple of years ago, when the 13th second uh, fiasco, uh, you know, they, they fired the special teams coordinator, you know, almost immediately. And he really only made one or two gaffes. Uh, but the current guy, Smiley, I mean, this has to be the worst special team season I can remember in a very, very long time. And no movement uh, for improving, uh, you know, the the, co- uh, the coach for special teams. And as Steve alluded to earlier, they're, you know, teaching guys to – you know, jump up and try and get the ball, bat the ball. You know, a lot of that, that stuff's off coaching and uh, positioning. And, uh, you know, this year it, it's just a fiasco as far as I'm concerned. I'd like to hear your guys' opinion. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Steve. Uh, first things first, Heath Farwell is the special teams coordinator to whom you're referring to after the loss in the divisional playoff in at the end of the 2021 season, January 2022. Uh, He was not fired. It was more of a mutual parting. His contract was up with the Bills, and basically all indications that I came to understand was that was a mutual parting. He wanted an opportunity elsewhere and took a lateral move to go to Jacksonville. Um, To my knowledge, it was never described or portrayed as an outright firing. So that's first. Um, Second, we have mentioned it. Special teams play was very uneven this season. There were some good moments. I mean, Tyler Bass was special teams player of the month in September. Sam Martin was special teams player of the month in December. Uh, But there were a lot of places in between blocked kicks, you know, blocked punts, long returns against weekend punt return to win the game in overtime and overtime. And that wasn't the only one. Uh, Buffalo's return game really didn't have uh, or offer much aside from Deontay Hardy's, you know, punt return for a touchdown in week 18. So, yeah, there was a lot of uneven play. 
through the course of the year on special teams, and at times it cost them. There were there were some weeks they could not flip the field, and the hidden yardage that Sean McDermott talks about all the time on special teams was missing, and it cost them some games, knowing how many close games the Bills were in this season. Yeah. Uh, yes, their special teams were noticeable on too many occasions for the wrong reasons this year. And uh, to, to our knowledge, nothing, you know, there's not going to make any changes on that staff. We well, know that uh, Coach, Coach Harkey was in, interviewed to be um, his own special teams coordinator. Uh, he's the assistant coordinator right now here in Buffalo, and he, was, or, he got a job to interview for a special teams coordinator in another position on another team uh, this year. So uh, I'm kind of with you. Um, I, I was really disappointed and mega disappointed in something. You think about the 12 men on the field uh, for the Denver game that cost him a chance to win it. Um, plays like that just, you know, that's the, those are the ones that crush you. And uh, that's two plays right there who that would have won games for you that, that are directly contributed to special teams. Uh, and you can tell you what you want. The special teams still count. Tyler Bass missing the last field goal against the Chiefs counts as a special teams miss. Um, so it's, you know, there's three games off the top of your head that were directly affected by special teams. Now, you know, there's plenty of times when Tyler Bass made the kicks as well. So those count as positives. And there's other positives like the the uh, Deontay Hardy return, that kind of stuff. So ton of a ton and and there was turn, turnovers like the the they come back and they get the opening kickoff fumble recovery against was it Dallas they get that in uh opening kickoff where they come down and just light the guy up Reggie Gilliam that Reg- was against the Jets the Jets the first jet the second, second jet, jet game, game the jet game here in Orchard Park they open it up with a turnover so it, as as good as it as bad as it was at times and it was yeah. bad that's why I called it was it, just as good i mean it was up I and down uneven was a good way to describe it it was a roller coaster a roller coaster, very inconsistent. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. I, I think that needs to be. They need to get consistency, if nothing else. Back to the phones and to Mark in Jersey City next. What's up, Mark? Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Yeah, the long term pain for momentary decisions. That's that's just football. And you see, like you guys said, that if, you know you're going to be a miserable sports fan if you sit there and you know because we we live in such a TikTok easily satiated world now where it's just scroll on to the next thing or press the reset button if the uh, Xbox game isn't going the way you like it. That's that's not real life. You know, Growing up in boxing, if you didn't do the right thing, you paid with pain. Steve can tell you. <laughs> Scheduled pain is like no other. Um, you guys were talking about sacks and turnovers in the game. I, I believe there's a Mahomes has a string of four to five games where he hasn't been sacked or turned the ball over in any playoff game played a Eagles team in the Super Bowl that had 70 sacks. The Ravens led the league in turnovers and they didn't get to him. They couldn't they couldn't turn him over. It's it's I, I look at it it's like I said I grew up in boxing. Um Manny Pacquiao had four fights with a guy named Juan Manuel Marquez beat him the first three times, actually drew him the first time after he knocked him down the first time. Four times. And that guy was able to fight him to a draw. In order to beat this guy like like Marquez did the fourth time, you're going to have to knock him out. And that's what he did. He knocked them cold in the fourth round. They're going to just have to out- run them out of the gym and outscore them. Don't focus on taking the ball over or sacking him. Just if they put up 35, we're going to put up 45. Yeah, I think, I think Mahomes has proven to everybody over the years 
that stopping him is a monumental issue. So how do you best combat that? Well, nobody with a defense, including the Ravens last week, with the number one defense in football, number one in points allowed, they weren't able to do it either. you got to have an offense that's better than theirs. Yet again, why yeah. my argument remains, draft two receivers <laughs> on the first two days of the draft. That's a dollar. Get more weapons. That's a dollar for Mark from Jersey City. And I'm happy to pay. Wide receiver t- train. Uh, you're right. Um, you, you, you prepare to defeat the opponent you've got to defeat to win the championship. Um, now, certainly, most teams fall to prey to you know a quarterback like Josh and an offense that's going to get. But you know, you got to prepare for a team like Kansas City. And and let's face it, we've seen it. We've seen it. And nobody wants to talk about it. They all want us to fire the coach or ch- change offensive coordinators, change defensive coordinators, fire the special teams coordinator. They want to make all these rest changes, but. It, the simple fact of the matter is, you no matter what changes you make, even when those changes are perfect, you got to hit on all cylinders on that day against that team and hope they don't make plays against you. And you hope they're not hitting on all cylinders because if they are, you may not be good enough anyway. You got to you got to go in with the idea that you're going to have to play well on that day, better than that other team, and you got to make them play worse than their best. That's what your job is, and and. Uh, these these teams are all they're all they're all like right there. All of them are on the same level. Baltimore, Buffalo, Kansas City, they're all right there. Cincinnati, when Joe Burrow's healthy, they're all right there. And you've got to make a couple of plays at the right moment in those games to give you a chance to pull out the pull pull out a win. The frustrating part is it is that sometimes it seems like that same team is the only team that is able to do that. And that's that's the the. The fine, the minute detail that it's hard to quantify and get your mind around what that exactly is. What is that thing? What is that fact? Some people say, "Wow, you got to fire your offensive coach, fire your head coach, sell the team, fire everybody." Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it, it for this, for that for for like the yeah. the width of a human hair is the difference. And it's and even if you do all of that. There's no guarantees that that little final thing doesn't widen. You know, it's not a it's, yeah, now it becomes a small a, problem. Yes, bigger. it becomes the Mississippi River rather than a human hair. That's the difference, and you know, because that's where some of these teams have got to be thinking they are, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you look, I mean, you look, you look at the, you look at these teams, and you think, you think the New England Patriots are sitting there right now, thinking they're that close, where the Bills are. You think, you know. Tennessee or the Jets, you think they're con- the Jets? You know, you've heard you they they can convince themselves they're like Aaron Rodgers away from doing that. Well, they're going to have a thirty-six-year-old quarterback who's going to run out of gas in about a month of the regular season or get hurt again. You know, there's some of these teams that just seem like they're a million miles with Carolina, Arizona, Washington, the Giants. You think these teams think they're right there? They're not firing anybody, and they went four and two and fifteen. Carolina did. They're firing everybody. You think they're going to go? You think they're going to go fifteen and two next year? It's not. You don't. You're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You got to. It's that. It's just give yourself the chance to make that much of a difference. Don't tear your house down to the studs. When all you need to do is paint the front door. Let's get back to the phones and to Guy in North Tonawanda. What's up, Guy? 
Guy, are you there? Oh. Guy, you're on, buddy. No, we lost him. Lost. Guy, guy's gone. Let's go to Nolan up north of the border in Canada. What do you got for us, Nolan? Oh, hi, guys. Big fan of the show. Thanks for having me on. I just wanted to talk about uh, the defense a little bit. I think that uh, Sean McDermott did a really good job uh, with the players he had this year, considering all the injuries. But I feel like when it comes down to it, a guy was just talking about it. The defense, it's not going to win you the game. you got to score more points than the other team. But I think that we could sell out a little bit more and blitz a little bit more. Uh, I felt like we blitzed a lot less than a lot of other teams in the playoffs. And I think we're a bit too concerned with uh, not losing, but we need to be more concerned with, with winning by trying to go for a blitz and sell out a little bit. Because yeah, live yeah. by the sword, die by the sword. Yeah, yeah. Nolan, with all due respect. Oh, I'm sorry, do you have something else? Uh, no, 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 go ahead. Okay, yeah, with all due respect, I think Sean McDermott was playing with half a deck. Um, and even when he played with half a deck, he was blitzing more than he usually did or more than this defense had in years past. Um, that's factual. I still think about the, the Eagles game, okay? The Eagles game, it's a close game. His defense cannot stop them at all. I mean, they're just rolling over the defense, um, who still at that point did not have Daquan Jones, Matt Milano out for the season, and as we know, Tredavious White out. I think they were missing somebody else too, maybe Hyde or I might have been out of the lineup that week. I can't remember. Um, the point I'm making is, Sean McDermott still called blitzes. As a matter of fact, he called two zero blitzes, uh, one of which came on the final possession of the game in overtime for the Eagles. He calls a zero blitz, and they beat it with a 15-yard pass play. He, he went in the bag and tried to use everything he could, and it still didn't work because they were that shorthanded. Now, go into a playoff game against Patrick Mahomes, with your fifth and sixth linebackers starting and your fourth and fifth corners starting on the outside. Do you want blitz? Be more aggressive in a tight game? I mean, yeah, they hard. held it together with staples and duct tape on defense yeah. when they got to the playoffs after Bernard went out of the lineup and after uh, Douglas is playing, dragging a leg around and, and probably shouldn't have played, quite frankly. They probably should have just started Elam and, and gone healthy instead of with a player that they trusted more. Um, you can't be that aggressive when you don't have bullets in the chamber. It's, it's really hard. So I respect what you're saying, and I think McDermott, one of the main reasons he took over play calling for the defense was to be more aggressive, and he was. Look at their blitz percentage in 2022 compared to 2023, and despite missing – a number of starters throughout the season on the defensive side of the ball, they were still more aggressive. Yeah, I, I would just echo what Brownie said. Yeah, you, you want this defense was vastly more aggressive than it had been under Leslie Frazier. They got more turnovers as a result. They got more sacks as a result. They were more splashy defense. Certainly their overall rankings probably dropped – a little bit, and mostly not so much the philosophy of blitzing and being more aggressive, but mostly because of the injuries. Um, I, I mean, they made a trade for a starting corner during the season. That they, they made a trade. I mean, that's how bad it got. So they, um, yeah, 
I'm with you. We can you can pick it apart if you want uh, at the end of the season, but I I have no problem with the aggressiveness of the you know philosophy of the defense coming down the stretch, even in the playoffs. Um, you're right. Uh, this is a it's a a game that's about scoring more points than the other team. I get all, I get that, but yeah, I I I I disagree. I thought they were as aggressive as they could be, they could possibly be. Um, and I think they forced the hand of a couple of offenses, particularly down the stretch in that run yeah. down towards the end of the season, that, that gave them a chance to win. And if you, if you want further proof of that, just look at what all the quarterbacks said in the week leading up to playing the Bills. They talked ad nauseum about the simulated pressures and how they didn't know where pressure was coming from in the Bills' defensive front. Why? Because it was frequent and it was varied, certainly more than it had been in years past. And it wasn't because they couldn't generate pressure with their front four, which had also been a problem in past years. It's because McDermott wanted to be more unpredictable, not just more aggressive, but more unpredictable as well. And I think mission accomplished in that category, despite being shorthanded yeah. for the entire season on the defensive side of the ball due to injury. I think one of the things that has characterized McDermott, it, the, not just defensively, but offensively and to, in totality, this coaching staff with McDermott has overachieved with the talent they've been given. They've been given great talent, no question, but they've won playoff games every year. That's hard to do. They're the only team that's done it other than Kansas City. They're the only team that's been able to do that. They certainly have some great players, and they have – maximized him they and they proved they can do that from the first year he was here when they took the Rex Ryan roster and went straight to the playoffs after nobody for 17 years could do that they did it with the same guys and Tyrod Taylor was a playoff quarterback I mean it's I mean they know how to get the most out of a roster they prove it time and time again and they have been consistent in that you can say what you want about though they couldn't get over that listen we've seen it Last year, this year as well, they got back to that spot and in a in a year where you were in an I'll say it again, they're in an arms race, just like Nolan from Canada said. You gotta score more points than people. They're still they need another weapon. They gonna they're gonna draft him. They're gonna get some guys, but they gotta give Josh Allen more weapons because they gotta score more points. That's where they're at. And even in a year where they thought they might have and they didn't quite get it done, they still got back to the playoffs and and um in a dogfight in the divisional round with a team that's in the Super Bowl. Yeah. They are I mean, you got to know that this is a team that is going to continue to be right there and have another chance to go. And that's what you really ask for. There's no guarantees. But man oh man, this is a team that you got to deal with. And so I'm I'm uh, I'm with Brownie on this one. I I'm totally thinking that, you know, I'm all it They've earned the benefit of the doubt that they're going to spin this and get this roster and maximize it. Let's go to William in Elmwood, I believe it is. What's up, William? Yeah, Elmwood Village. Hey, good afternoon, guys. So um, the the most important player that I feel we need to see improvement out of um, and or the most important player, not necessarily improvement, James Cook. I think um, if our, our offensive coordinator, the new one that we just signed, can find a way to utilize him more 
And um, I also think Dalton Kincaid is another important player to consider as the most important moving forward. And, of course, what you guys just talked about, can we find uh, another player to contribute on offense, a wideout maybe in the draft? Yeah. I would, I would agree to any and all of that, William. I told Steve earlier in the show, you know, on the Twitter poll where the choices are, you know, which player is most important, A, Diggs reemergence, B, Shakir Kincaid taking the next step, C, rookie wide receiver production, D, other, I picked other because my other is James Cook. Um, I think he's got to get a little bit better hanging on to the ball in the end zone. As, you know, Steve has mentioned, he probably would have had three more receiving touchdowns if he caught those uh, this season. And who knows what that does to the final tally. But I think everything you saw proved that he can be a feature back for your offense going forward. And I would expect that to continue in a big way. And from the very beginning of the season, because if you remember, James Cook really didn't take off until about week seven, eight, somewhere in there. And he still finishes with over 1,500 yards from scrimmage. He's in the top five in total yards from scrimmage for running backs. And the only guy that had more rushing yards than him, I think, was McCaffrey. So that's a damn good year for a second-year player. And if he keeps going on the ascent, you know, and then you can add some rookie receiver production, you're really going to have something there. And maybe you can just flat-out yeah. score the Chiefs. And you're, Yeah, and you asked if, if they can do it. And I said, yeah, I think, yes, they can. They're gonna, it's priority one. They're going to get a a dude to line up on the other side of Diggs so that, you know, if Diggs does get another 108 targets or 115 targets uh, or 150 targets, he's not going to have two guys on him every time the ball comes to him. Um, And you need another guy who's going to get over 100 targets as well on the other side of him, somebody who can really, um, really – Attract some attention. Everybody's gonna. It it it's a ripple effect that's easy to understand. You know, the more guys you've got that are dangerous, the thinner the defense is spread, and the easier it is to find weaknesses. It's just that simple. And it's um, and I would say yes. There's absolutely no question the Bills are going to make a big time effort to get a guy on the other side of Diggs. Break time for us here, but more of your phone calls when we come back. Bill and Cheek to Waga, Rich in Buffalo, Guy on a Cell, Mark in West Seneca. Hang tight. We'll do our best to get to all four of you when we return here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. Back here on One Bills Live on a Wednesday, and right back to the phones we go into Bill and Cheek to Waga. What's up, Bill? Hey, hi. How you doing, guys? Thanks Good. for taking my call. Sure. Uh, appreciate the job that both you guys do every day. And uh, my most important person, I think, is Mitch Morris and what he does with uh, the offensive line and keeping them guys on the uh, same page. So I just want to listen to your comment, yeah. and it'll be great. Yeah. Thanks no problem, for taking Bill. my sure. call. Sure. Uh, Thank you, Bill. The guy they call Dad. Um, yeah, he's he's good there in the pivot. Um you know, put together another good season with two new guards on either side of him, which is not nothing. And I think what is going to benefit the offensive line the most going into next year is the fact that they got 17 regular season games and two playoff games together without anybody missing time, at least for a play here or there. Um, Nobody missed a start. 
That is exceedingly rare in right. this league, and I would be stunned if they're fortunate enough to keep all five guys healthy for the entire season next year. Right. But I think it, it was very beneficial having them healthy all season because I think it allowed them to gel quicker knowing you had two new guards in the mix this season. Yeah, I I think that's – we've talked about it a little bit, not not at length because it's just – you know, it's kind of this given. You got these five guys that went in there and played extremely well. Uh, given, particularly with Connor McGovern being a young dude coming in, being the biggest free agent signing the Bills had in the offseason, then a high draft pick and Osiris Torrance coming in and plugging into the guards, and then you got Mitch Morse, who's the veteran in the two tackles. One of which on the right side, well, actually both of them had their best seasons, or at least Dawkins, one of his best seasons, and certainly the best season for Spencer Brown. That's a great place to start with. You've got an elite quarterback behind him and a running back who's in a second year, who just finished his second year as a breakout player on the entire offense. You've got a slot receiver in Khalil Shakir who has had the highest catch rate of any wideout in the entire National Football League. You've got a number one draft pick in Dalton Kincaid who set the rec- rookie season record and the receiving record for the franchise in his rookie season. I mean, for a that, tight end, yeah. For a tight end. That's... Let's face it, we're going to spend the entire offseason taking this whole offense for granted and hoping they can get one other guy on the other side of Diggs to be the guy. Two, please. You only, you only have room for one. So you got one guy on the field over there, at least, maybe two as a bat, one's a bat, whatever. Yeah. You got to have a that's, – that's it. On that entire side of the ball, you're ready to go with one draft pick, probably the, the, the first draft pick being that guy. And – that's where we're at, and it starts. And it, you, the whole conversation starts with the offensive line. Those guys were extremely good this year, and when Joe Brady took over, they started to flex. You know, they started to run the ball yeah, really the well. Game. You think back to that Dallas game, and even Josh was like, "Dude, I," he goes, "I felt like the guy who didn't show up for the group project and still got an A." I mean, he he was handing the ball off, and they just absolutely steamrolled those jokers. Um, so that. That's where we're at. Uh, they played extremely well. They're going to be better. Uh, certainly, Osiris is going to take a step. You would think he's going to take a step forward this year. The whole offensive line is going to have that cohesion. They'll bring in some competition and free agents, maybe re-sign some of the guys that are up. But they got a ton of guys coming back up there. That's going to be a really good room. Uh, David Edwards is really the only significant guy that's, that's not under contract going forward. Yeah, um, yeah Mitch Morse has been, he's been a little bit like Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. When when they signed him, it's like okay, who? Oh, he came over from Kansas City. He was, he was the highest paid center in the league when yeah. they signed him. They're like, wow, that's big, right? So um, he has lived up to it. When he has been out of there, they've missed him. And uh, yeah, I, I would agree that the offensive line going forward is the one place where it's like you can just like breathe a sigh of relief yeah, and think, the, okay, we, they'll have stability. Uh, now yeah, we all say that, and now of course there'll be like nine guys that go down in training camp, and yeah. they'll be playing, you know. Joey Bag of Donuts, and you know Tommy Schmegmahoyt, and exactly. yeah, yeah, have faith, yeah. But right now, that's where we're at. You're right; uh, those guys up front were an absolute gem of a group this year. Let's go to Rich in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Rich? Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Sure. Um, uh, just a couple things. Uh, um, McDermott before this year, I, I like, I was thinking this guy is not the guy. He doesn't have it. It just doesn't happen. And I watched McDermott this year evolve as a coach 
you know, all of us have to evolve as human beings throughout life, right? This guy evolved from four years ago to who he is right now. Um, what a great job on that defense. And again, I was never a, a, a McDermott apologist. Um, this guy did a killer job on, on the on the defense. I'm almost like, I'm glad we retained Bobby Babich, but I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that Sean's not going to be uh, calling the defensive plays, man, because he, he really did a great job with all those injuries. I mean, insane. And, and Brownie, I'm with you. Draft three receivers. We got 10 picks. Pick <laughs> as many as you can pick. And Did throw in a few defensive backs in there too, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, love it. I, I would agree. I've been, I've been pounding, and you know, Rick, Rich, I, same place. I, I was really, and I know the game didn't end the way Bills fans wanted it to end against Kansas City, but I was really encouraged, and it, I, I like, I was, I had to sit back and think about it for a minute, that, and set it on the air. Sean McDermott is a much, much different head coach this year and at the end of this year than he was two or three years ago. Yeah. Completely different. I, I, I saw the, the defensive calls, the offense, the in-game management, the, you know, the, and I know the fake punt was an atrocity, but all that stuff was vastly different and came from a va- vastly different place than we saw Sean McDermott coaching from two or three years ago. Um, there's still no guarantees that it's going to be enough and all that, but I, I'm with you. I think he has really, really evolved markedly over his time as head coach of the Bills, and I think now this is a team that could see some more positive results at, because of that evolution. Um, we'll see. But I'm, I'm totally with you. I, he, that, the end of that Kansas City game, and I know it didn't go our way, but the end of that Kansas City game was different than any of those other close playoff losses that the Bills have suffered. It was completely different than any of those, in my opinion. And we should – I mentioned this earlier, and I'll say it again, Rich, just because you were assuming that, and we don't have clarity on who is going to be calling plays on defense yet. We know Bob Babbage is going to be the defensive coordinator and fill the position – but we don't have clarity yet on who's calling the plays, whether it'll continue to be McDermott or whether Babbage will take that over. We'll probably find out in due time here, but we don't know for sure how that operation is going to function going forward. Let's go to Guy on a cell. What do you got, Guy? How you doing? Good. Um, I My question is, somebody mentioned to me that when teams do, when they have, like with Kansas, the play they pulled, that special play they pulled against us when they were offsides. Right. So, so my buddy was telling me that the coaches and the refs sit down in a room before the game and they they tell the refs the games that they're going to play, that they're going to do these certain plays. No, they Is don't. That- sort of, Greg, guy. I'm sort of guy. They have a conference. They do not sit down in a room and tell the officials the trick plays they're going to do. But they will go to an official and alert him as to a special thing they may do, like an alignment or an eligible or ineligible. Um, you know, teams always do that gamesmanship. The, the Detroit Lions famously didn't report or reported the wrong way or did it the right way, and the official assumed assumed he had it and didn't. So that's you know they tried to get away with one there and it cost them no question but before a game the head coach will seek out the lead official and say listen we're going to align where we're going to have one of our offensive linemen be ineligible eligible instead of ineligible he's going to report to you and we're going to shift 
and he's going to do something. They'll give him a warning. They don't sit down in a room and go over a chalkboard about what they're going to do. And here's what's going to, he just gives them a heads up to be alert for it. Now, in certain situations, if it presents itself, the head coach may say, like, like if they're in a conversation about the play before, the head coach say, hey, that play that we alerted you about is coming up right now. That kind of thing. But it will never be in a spot where they're, you know, doing anything. They give the official an alert because there's so much going on, just like we saw with the Detroit-Dallas game where the two-point conversion was gotten and then it was taken away because they didn't report right. That's what they're trying to prevent. They're just trying to say, listen, we've got this thing that we're trying to fool the other team. We don't want to fool you too into giving us a penalty. That's the conversation that happens. Yeah. It's not a room or a meeting or anything like that. Let's go to Mark in West Seneca next. What's up, Mark? Hey, guys. How are you today? Good. Um, real quick, uh, as far as the poll goes, uh, I know they're going to take care of Whiteout. Probably one, probably the first two picks, I would be, assume. Speed, speed, speed there. Uh, but what I really I want them to do, and we can't ignore it, uh, if you look at, I think a previous caller mentioned it, three of the four teams in the conference championships had really good to great defenses, and we can't ignore the defensive side of the ball. And you brought up a question yesterday, Brownie, which I thought, thought was really interesting. When you said Sean has a standard question, he asked players, would you rather be known or would you rather be tough or smart? And for me, the proper answer to that as a football player is, well, I want to bring toughness with the ability to be smart through my coaches and what they teach me. To me, that's the proper answer. And when I look at our defensive backfield, especially on the defensive side of the ball, to me, I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, we have lacked a little bit of a certain level of toughness uh, through the years. We've had great players, certainly, guys that can really play. But to me, they play more with their heads than with really, like they said, the old, the old saying, bring the wood um, here and there or whatever. And I think we really could use a little bit more toughness in the defensive backfield. And one other real quick comment, Brownie, ban the talk on firing Sean. Uh, I applaud you, Steve, for your response yesterday to is, uh, is Sean being held accountable. That was an overdue response. It is absolutely boggles my mind that people would even think along the lines of firing Sean, uh, how soon they've forgetting, forgotten where we were where we come from, the instability of the organization as a whole. And it's not just game day, guys, that Sean does what he does. He runs an organization, and there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that we are not even aware of that obviously he's gotten right. And uh, I I applaud him, and I say keep at it, Sean, because I think you're going to get us there uh, eventually. Thanks, guys. All right. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Appreciate that. Um, we are up against it here, but yeah, and we've been kind of banging that drum a little bit and yes, people easily forget. It's a, what have you done for me lately league? Um, and a lot of people are thrown out quickly, sometimes too soon, uh, in this league in the head coaching positions, which is why there's six to eight jobs open every year. Some of them are, you know, right decisions, you know, and they can replace them with somebody better. Sometimes it's wrong. And then they're right back in that same cycle looking for a coach again. We experienced it for the better part of 20 years. So 
once you got a guy, you hold on to him, especially if he's keeping you in, con- yeah. in contention every My, single year. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers are known for being a, a kind of stable organization. They've had three head coaches in over a half a century. Uh, I asked Mr. Rooney, uh, and I can't remember, it's Jim, not uh, uh, the, the Tim Rooney or Jim, I, Dan Rooney. Dan Rooney, that's it, I'm sorry. So I asked Dan Rooney before he passed away. What's your secret? Why only three? He goes, you know, you hire the smartest guy you can. You support him until he figures it out. You don't bail on him. In fact, you wait until he has a a guy like McDermott. You wait until he has a down year. Then you extend him (laughs) so you can get him cheaper. That's how you do it. You stick with the guy and let him figure it out. And that's, you know, fans don't like to hear that kind of patient talk from an owner. They want wins and they want them now. Uh, And they're convinced this this guy is the same guy as ever going to be. But. Is, he's the same guy now he's always going to be. And that's, not always the, that's never the case. That's never the case. Got to take a break. Back to close it up here in just a moment on One Bills Live. One final segment here quickly on the tweet sheet. Which player most important for Bill's success on offense? Jack says all of it. I need Diggs to give us at least one more strong year. Need that elite production. I think we have two players in Shakir and Kincaid. If they take the next step, Bills will be hard to stop. And they definitely need to add cost-controlled guys to help the others and replace 14 eventually. Andrea says whoever a wide receiver two might be. Got to get some heat off of Diggs. Yep. I'm, I'm all about it. That's Oh my gosh, I'm getting tired of talking about it already. What is it? Late January? Oh <laughs> Last gosh. day in January. Be a long off season with this wide receiver. <laughs> and even February is a day longer this year with Leap Day. Yes. Have to deal with a whole nother day. We're back tomorrow at one, so be sure to tune in. We'll have more Bills talk for you, just like we do every day. We'll see you tomorrow.